You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning's Chapel Frame is Kingdom Community, which invites all of us to the table of faith, bringing our past, our present, our different geographies, our race, our stories, to the table of God where we all have a seat. It invites us as we look at God's, all of us made in God's image. When we don't know some of us, we don't know all of God. We want to be a depiction and reflect the local, local and global church as a kingdom that is diverse and beautiful. So our speaker today, Pastor Aaron Calhoun, will bring us a message, and that will be our chapel frame, Kingdom Community. I first heard Pastor Aaron two years ago at at the New Room Conference, and we are in for a treat today. For the past 11 years, Aaron and his wife, Alyssa Calhoun, which are so glad that you are here with us this morning, are best friends, and they've been following Jesus in marriage for the last eight years. They are natives of Alabama. Any Alabama friends? All right, a couple. And they have been following uh, native of Alabama, and they both have a heart to reach people with a whole gospel, to make healthy disciples of Jesus and equip God's people to live by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Raised in Birmingham, Alabama, Aaron is a redeemed son of, in Christ Jesus who desires to grow, learn, and trust more in God. He is bivocational and currently serves as founding and lead pastor of Adventure Church and works as a ministry strategist at Subsplash. He has faithfully served as one of the next-gen regional pastors of the Foursquare Atlantic District, the District Council of the Foursquare, and the National Foursquare Cabinet as a younger representative. Currently, he serves at Fusion USA Board as a local practitioner that strengthens local churches with the tools and confidence to love, reach, and disciple college students. So this is a perfect fit for him. With his bachelor's in marketing management from the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and as a pastor theologian with a master's in theological studies from Life Pacific University, his life mission is to passionately equip, multiply, and mobilize healthy, spirit-led, peacemaking disciples of Jesus Christ. Would you please welcome Pastor Aaron. Good morning, Asbury. How are we doing this morning? Oh, come on, it's snowing outside. How are we doing? I love it. Well, I want to first honor Jesus uh, for this opportunity, uh, this moment to be together. See, it's so cold, my ring's falling off. (laughs) But it's uh, it's truly an honor because what the Holy Spirit has been doing here um, is profound. And so for my wife and I to just have a few moments to be with you, to uh, seek the Lord together, I cherish that, and I hope you do as well. I want to honor my wife, Alyssa. She did come with me in the, the cold, so can we thank God for my wife, Alyssa, of eight years? Listen, I can't do what I do without her. We do it side by side together as we are church planting a new church called Adventure Church. We are approaching our, our second year birthday as a church plant in about three weeks, and so uh, we started in our house, and we've outgrown that, and now we're meeting in a uh, Christian-owned coffee shop that's closed on Sundays for our new church plant. So God's doing some incredible things, and I can't do it without you, but listen, I honor you. I want to honor Asbury, uh, Madeline Black, and Rachel. Thank you all for the invite on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
and uh, it's been truly a joy to work with you all. And so I, I want to invite us to a New Testament uh, Pauline letter known as Philemon. I'm going to read verse 1 through 18 this morning in the NIV translation. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPad or your phone, let's go to the book of Philemon. I'm going to start in verse number one and read through verse 18. And the Word of God says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, someone say partner. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I want to invite you, Asbury, to do something with me before we walk through the text together. If, if you're able, there's a verse in the book of Philippians where Paul says, at the name of Jesus, uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you're able, I would love for us to pray before we walk through these scriptures together. So if you're able, will you bow with me? Will you join me as we, as we bow before the Lord Jesus, who sits high above all. His name is above every name. And one day we're all going to bow, but I would love to say, you know what, Jesus, we're going to bow right now and submit ourselves to your presence and to your word by the power of the Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves to you for you are good and you are king and you are Lord. May our heart posture reflect 
our body posture as we bow before you now, Jesus, as we look to your word in Philemon. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts what is true. Guide us into all truth. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand your heart in these scriptures, God. Put the words in my mouth, Holy Spirit, as I build up your people. Make us more like Jesus. And may we walk in the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Thank you for your presence in this place. Lead us now, Holy Spirit, I pray, for your glory, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for bowing with me for those who chose to. In today's scriptures, I believe God wants to speak to our hearts and, and, and transform us with transformational equipping, with a, with a kingdom perspective, and, and, and bring a, a, an awakening and renewal to our thoughts and to our hearts and I, I want to encourage you that I believe God has built each of us, each of you, to, to build relationships with others with a heart that is led by the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to be looking at, within the, the theme of kingdom community, the, the biblical topic and, and the biblical invitation from God, I believe, of peacemaking. Someone say peacemaking. So if you're taking notes today in chapel, I encourage you to write down our teaching title this morning, Radical Reconciliation. Radical reconciliation. This is one of the shortest letters written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter while he is in prison for the gospel. He, he's suffering because he will not be quiet about the name of Jesus. And as he's penning this, this letter, he's also with his spiritual son in the faith named Timothy. So, so Paul is not alone as he's writing this letter. This is a very uh, personal, uh, extremely friendly letter that he is writing to a guy named Philemon, who we find out, we're going to look here in a few other scriptures, Philemon lived in a city known as Colossae. So as we look at these scriptures, I want you to notice that a few times in the text, especially in verse number six, where the scripture says, Paul says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective. That word partner in the Greek means koinia. That word koinia means a deep fellowship together in the Holy Spirit. A deep fellowship or even a deep friendship in the Holy Spirit where we as a community, those in the body of Christ, we partner together as we partner with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you with this. The Lord Jesus is longing for his church to partner with him because he's on the move. Jesus is on the move. He's at work. He's doing great things all over the world. And he is longing and inviting, commanding us to go into koinia or partnership with him. Amen. And so with that context, we see that Paul opens up his letter with a greeting. And he, he names some people because, I, I love it because our, our, me and my wife's context right now, we, we just got out of house church and now we're in a coffee shop for our Sunday gatherings. And, and, and Paul says, man, Philemon, Acrippus, and Aphia, all y'all who where the church meets in your home. This speaks to a depth of relationship and friendship that Paul had with Philemon. And he opens this request, this appeal on the basis of friendship 
on the basis of partnership in the gospel. I have four points for us today. So if you're taking notes, write these down. I believe these are keys to walk in radical reconciliation. Point number one, peacemaking is an extraordinary expression of the gospel. Peacemaking is an extraordinary expression of the gospel. Now, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to make peace? Because we're referencing something that Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known or they will be seen as children of God. So there's something about, about being a child of God, a son and daughter of God in Christ Jesus, where our expression of that identity in Christ is peacemaking. What does it mean to make peace? A biblical definition of peacemaking is the following. A person who makes peace is one who makes peace by reconciling parties who were previously at odds with one another. It can also mean one who cultivates peace and concord, one who restores peace and reconciliation between persons and even nations. So in 2024 language, a peacemaker is someone who brings the shalom of God when there's beef, (laughs) when there's challenge, when there's disagreements, where there's conflict. Shalom is the the wholeness that God brings through his peace. Peacemaking is a privilege for every Christ follower to, to participate, engage, and partner with Christ through the power, presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Colossae, where we find Philemon, Colossae was a, a, a city within the Roman Empire at this time, historically, where Colossae was a very wealthy city. So they, 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 they had some money, y'all. Like, they, they had bank, you know what I'm saying? And like, there were a lot of uh, wealthy people in the area, including some of those who were part of the church during this first century Palestinian context. And what's interesting is that Philemon would host people in his home as they gathered around the presence of God and the Word of God. So Philemon was one who was seen as a servant leader in the city of Colossae. Now, Paul discipled a guy named Epaphras, and when he discipled Epaphras, Epaphras went and planted a church in Colossae. And so all these house churches sprung up everywhere as Epaphras was, was sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus because Paul faithfully discipled Epaphras. Why am I giving you all this context? Because even within this first century context, when all this wonderful, healthy gospel things were taking place, there was still something that was happening in this first century context known as slavery. Now, I know I just dropped a really hard trigger word right there, but let me explain what slavery was back then in this first century context. Slavery in this context was not like what we experience in America known as shadow slavery. In the first century context, slaves were seen as part of the family unit. Now, there, there was abuse, there was evil and just things that did happen during this time, but for the most part, slaves in the city of Colossae were a part of the family dynamic. They would be a household slave. They would work. They would earn an income. They would, they would make bank. Like, they would do pretty good as a slave. But, the, but they were part of a family unit and a family dynamic. And Philemon, as we're about to find out, he had a guy in his house named Onesimus. Someone say Onesimus. And Onesimus, as we're going to find out, was a slave in Philemon's home. And Paul led by the Holy Spirit, is writing a letter, making a bold, radical request. 
for Philemon to let Onesimus come home. <laughs> What's interesting about this, this, this letter is that Paul does not uh, explicitly explain the gospel with words, like we see in the book of Romans or the book of Galatians. But we see an expression of the gospel, a demonstration of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point number two, write this down if you're taking notes. Sometimes God will bring your past into your present so he can purify your perspective. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes God will bring your past into your present so he can purify your perspective. Peacemaking is a powerful demonstration of the gospel. This tiny personal letter, again, doesn't explicitly lay out the gospel, but it's an incarnate expression of the gospel. Paul is asking Philemon to depend on the Holy Spirit to forgive Onesimus, accept the return of Onesimus, and to reconcile with Onesimus. Paul's perspective and pursuit was to make peace between Onesimus and Philemon. Paul was introducing heaven to earth with a kingdom call to action so that Philemon's relationship with Onesimus would be healed, redeemed, transformed more into the likeness of Christ through the privilege and the pursuit of peacemaking, which can only be done by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you are at odds with somebody, you really don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> can, we keep, can we keep it 100 up in here? Can, can, we, can we be real? Like, when, when, when there's conflict, when there's challenge in relationships, our default as humans is to stay away. I'm not going to make peace with them. No. Yet, the gospel demands unity. The gospel invites us to be one because Jesus prayed for us to be one in him. He died for us to be one in him. I believe radical reconciliation is the transformational pursuit of loving one's enemies as a gospel response to God loving us through Christ when we were once his alienated enemies. God reconciled with us first. And so in response to the gospel, we should learn to be reconcilers with one another in our friendships, marriage, professional relationships, worship teams, churches, staff, faculty, you name it. God is calling us to walk in the power of the Spirit to make peace. I believe peacemaking has two biblical ingredients, and that's biblical forgiveness and biblical reconciliation. But there are two eternal truths I want to submit to you, to, to, to suggest to you that to keep in mind when you begin to pursue peace in radical reconciliation that does not make sense to the world. It does not make sense to the world for us to love our enemies, to love people who don't like us, to, lo to love people who don't look like us. Like the world does not get that, but the church does. The church should, amen? These two truths, I believe, are the undergirding foundation for peacemaking biblically. Number one, Every human being is made in the likeness and image of God. The Imago Dei. We all bear his image. No matter the color of your skin, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your cultural background, your socioeconomic status, whatever it is, we're all equal because we have been made in the likeness and image of God. That means everyone deserves love, respect, and honor because God made us in his image. Number two, 
every human being made in God's image is rebelliously sinful against God. And because we're all sinners, we need a Savior named Jesus. Those two truths equalize every single human on this planet. And these two truths lead to the ingredients for peacemaking that we, by the Spirit, can walk in. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness means pardoning an offender and treating him or her as not guilty anymore. Reconciliation means to renew and rebuild a broken relationship or friendship after sharp disagreement or enmity. Let's go back to verse 17 and 18 because this is the gospel reason Paul gave for Philemon to make peace and reconcile with Onesimus. Let's reread verse 15 through 17. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, Imago Dei, man in the image of God, and as a brother in the Lord. Jesus died for his sins too. That makes you brothers. <laughs> the blood of Christ makes us a family. So welcome him, Paul said. If you consider me a partner, if you consider us in, in true koinia, welcome him as you would welcome me. Most theologians believe that Onesimus got saved when he encountered Paul while Paul was in chains for the gospel. And Onesimus began to help Paul in his gospel endeavors while suffering for Jesus. And so now Onesimus is saved, and Paul says, all right, Onesimus, you've got to head back home because Philemon's past is now going to enter into his present with you coming back. Paul says, verse 18, if, you have done, if, he, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. That is a powerful statement Paul made. Apparently, Onesimus did something of financial harm to Philemon. Remember our context. Colossae was very, very wealthy. Philemon was believed to be very, very wealthy. So Onesimus did something to, to break the brother's bank. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was something financial, of a financial loss that happened. And Paul, in this gospel posture, says, I'll pay it. Charge it to me. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus did for us? Father God, I'll, I'll pay it. I'll die for their sin. I never sin, but I, I will become sin. I'll take on their unrighteousness. I'll, I'll give them my righteousness. I'll pay it. Paul is being like Jesus, an expression, a demonstration of the gospel. He, he was walking out biblical justice to say, hey, wrong happened, but I'll pay it from my own pocket to make peace, to make peace. Before I go to my third point, I want us to look at some more context. So I really want you to grab what the Holy Spirit is saying right here. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. I want you to see something powerful here. Because this was a request Paul made to Philemon. But remember, when letters were brought to New Testament churches, they were a community. When they received a letter from Paul, the whole church would gather around, they would open the scroll, and they would read the letter out loud <laughs> for the whole church to hear. Now check this out in Colossians 4, 7-9. Sychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. 
So remember, Colossians is in Colossae, same spot that Philemon is in. Verse 8, I have sent him, Tychicus, I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9 is where I want us to focus in. He is coming with, what's that name right there, fam? Who? Oh, oh, Onesimus is coming home. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. What Paul just did is radical. He just told a church community who probably knew what happened between Philemon and Onesimus of what went wrong in their relationship. He's saying, hey, Onesimus is coming home and he's one of you. He's made in the image of God like you. He is blood bought by Christ like you. He is one of you. Welcome him home. That, my friends, is radical reconciliation. It was unheard of for someone to have a slave to welcome them back home. If anything, they would punish them, put them in the Colosseum to be killed by wild animals, burn them, or just straight up kill them. So this was a gospel movement that Paul was igniting when he was making peace between brothers who were at odds with one another. And he said, Onesimus is one of you. Welcome him because he is a dearly and faithful loved brother. Point three, peacemaking is not always pleasant from our perspective, but is always precious from God's perspective. This was probably a very uncomfortable posture that Philemon was in. But Paul was so confident that he would do this in verse 21 and 22. Actually, let's start at verse 19. The Bible says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. That's some, that's some brotherly conversation right there. Like, Paul and Philemon were, were boys right there. You know what I'm saying? Verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. See, reconciliation brings refreshment to those in the body of Christ. And then look at Paul's confidence in Philemon's response to this gospel request. Confident of your obedience. Someone say obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Paul was so confident that Philemon would reconcile with Onesimus. He said, I'm so confident that you're going to be obedient and do this and even more. Get a guest room ready for me, bro. I'm coming to see what's going to happen. That's called gospel accountability. That's called biblical fellowship. That's called discipleship. That is radical reconciliation. But can you imagine the moment where, where, where Philemon's at home and Tychicus comes with the letter and they knock on the door, Philemon opens the door, and there's Tychicus, and then there's Onesimus. His past has come into his present, and it's probably uncomfortable, it's probably awkward, it's probably weird, but it's precious to God because Philemon gets to make a choice. And we actually don't know what happens. This letter leaves us in kind of a, in a cliffhanger. We probably won't know until we all get to heaven one day and talk to them about it. <laughs> but I believe that Philemon made a gospel-centered, spirit-led choice 
for the sake of the gospel and their witness in Colossae to let Onesimus back home. My last point, and then in closing, uh, the keyboard player, if you can come up, please. What's your name, bro? Josh. Josh. Come on up, Josh. I'm about to wrap up, bro. <laughs> My last point is this. God's sovereignty doesn't erase our peacemaking responsibilities. God's sovereignty empowers our peacemaking responsibilities. Peacemaking requires the grace of our Lord Jesus through the enabling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And in this process, peacemaking will take our effort, but Jesus' power. And that power is through the Holy Spirit. You can't make peace in your own strength. You need the Spirit of God. The same Spirit of God that has been outpouring in this place, that has captured the world's attention, that same awakening power of the Spirit is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power that will enable us to edify our witness to a divided, polarized world as we, the church, make peace as peacemakers. In closing... I want to read the words of Jesus over us. I want to pray a few things over us. I want to share a quick testimony of what peacemaking actually looks like in my life. I'm going to share a quick testimony with you. And then I want us to, at the end, stand and pray and and do something together as a response. Because I believe awakening is happening. This generation, partnering with other generations, God is on the move. Souls are being saved, disciples are being made, and leaders are being raised in Jesus' name. I'm part of the four-square denomination. We watched what God did here on social media, and we were in awe of God. Do it again, Lord! And he is all over the world because of the ripple effect that God did here. But I want to remind you of the words of Jesus in John 17. Because peacemaking and radical reconciliation is something that Jesus prayed for. And I believe with all my heart that Father God is going to answer his son's prayer. Jesus prayed in John 17, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In this moment, Jesus is about to go to the cross, but he's praying for his current disciples. But he's also praying for future believers, future followers of him. That's Jew and Gentile. That's us. He said, he prayed, but also for those who believe in me through their word, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Isn't it amazing that Jesus prayed that when we are united, it will be a prophetic apologetic to the world that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That our unity is a witness of the reality of the gospel of Jesus. And that they'll believe that God actually sent Jesus for real, for real. It's connected to our unity in the gospel. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. 
so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. May I suggest to you, Asbury, that a big part of the mission of the gospel is the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't believe unity is a secondary issue. I believe it's a part of the mission of making disciples of Jesus. Let's all stand together. I want to pray a few things together. And as the band comes up. Back in uh, 2014, I served at a uh, discipleship Bible camp called Centrifuge. It was basically a vacation Bible school on steroids. It was awesome. There were youth groups that came all over the world to a specific campsite in Tennessee, and we would do discipleship. One week, there was a group from South Georgia that came. And part of this youth group, they had a really tall young man, about 6'8", 290 pounds. They called him Big Bubba. Uh, Big Bubba was a tall, big, white country dude, man. He was cool. He was a gentle giant, though. He was very shy, very introverted, not very outspoken. Part of the theme that year was about uh, being, being humble, being real, being bold. And we were talking about being real and, and, and being honest before God and being honest about our sins so that we could be cleansed. And Big Bubba, during a time of confession, he raised his hand and he shared with the group and he looked at me in my eyes. Big Bubba said, Aaron, I got something to say. I got something to share. I said, what's up, Big Bubba? What you got, bro? What do you want to share with the group? He shared that he was raised to hate African-Americans. He shared that he was raised to be a racist. He shared that he was raised to hate black people and people, and people with brown-colored skin. Now, I'm going to be honest. In that moment, I was terrified for my life because I was the only brother in the room. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Keeping it transparent up here. But the Holy Spirit said, Aaron, be at peace. I am transforming his heart. Big Bubba proceeded to share with me that God had told him last night, the night before that session, that his racism, his discrimination, his prejudice, his favoritism was evil and wrong. And he had repented the night before. And he said, Aaron, will you forgive me for how I've seen you? Because... I saw you love us, Aaron. I saw you pray for us. I saw you, I saw you do things that I never saw before. You, you, you broke the mold that I was taught. I said, come here, big bubba. So we hug and embrace, and I'm 6'2", 220. He's 6'9", 270. He squeezes me, and he picks me up off the ground. I'm like, I love you too, dude, but put me down. You're about to kill me. Put me down, bro. Put me down, bro. I love you. Put me down. The next day, the parents come pick up the students from camp. And Big Bubba, he had called his parents, and he had shared with his parents what God was doing in his life and his heart. And so Big Bubba's parents, who were also 6'7 and 6'8, walked to me at the end of worship, and they said, Aaron, we are so sorry. 
for how we raised our son. Will you forgive us? And by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I forgave that whole family right there on the spot. And we begin to reconcile. And we begin to make peace. I believe with all my heart that peacemaking is an ingredient for continual awakening in the body of Christ. Because peacemaking can change individuals, families, local churches, counties, schools, cities, regions, this nation. But we need the power of the Spirit to make peace. Amen. To walk in the unity that Jesus prayed for us to have and died for us to walk in. If you will, will you just lift your hands to heaven? I want to pray four things over us. And as you lift your hands, I want to encourage you to a new posture. Usually we do this, and this is healthy. Jesus said to receive. We, we need to receive from the Lord. But Jesus also said it is better to give than to receive. So in this posture, as our hands are lifted, may, may one hand be in a posture to receive. But I want to invite you to something new today. Would you flip your opposite hand to say, Jesus, I'm going to receive your anointing and your spirit afresh to become a radical reconciler, but I know that this is not just for me. It's to also flow through me as I participate with the kingdom of God, as I contribute to your mission of making disciples as a peacemaking reconciler. So it doesn't just stay with us, but it flows through us. So, Father, I pray by faith in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you populate our circle with healthy ethnic diversity so that we can watch you change our hearts. Father, through your Spirit, I pray that you will give us courage to have hard conversations, to make us brave, give us boldness. Holy Spirit, I pray for love, gentleness, peace, wisdom, and power to help us make peace in your time as we rebuild broken relationships. Father, I pray that you would help us be obedient to you because, Lord, obedience is our job. Outcome is your job. Father, I pray that Asbury would walk in radical humility, ethnic unity, and a kingdom reality where Asbury is a Revelation 7-9 movement of your spirit where every tongue, tribe, nation, people who surround the throne of the Lamb shouting, worthy is the Lamb, salvation belongs to our Lord God that Jesus, that heaven reality would be here on earth. In and through Asbury, I pray. Lord, you first made peace with us. Help us now make peace with others. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.